0: Hello, welcome to Growing Greener. I'm Ara Anderson, and this is my podcast series for Gardeners World Magazine, where I'm inviting experts to share their knowledge about how we can all become sustainable gardeners. Through a blend of science based facts, research, experience, and above all, passion, you'll discover how your actions in the garden will make a real difference to the planet. fluctuating weather and growing populations, our towns and cities are on the front line of rising temperatures, flash floods and degraded air quality. So just how can some of our common garden plants help? My guest in this episode is Dr. Tiana Blanuza, RHS environmental scientist and specialist in plant physiology. Her extensive research into the benefits of greening our cities reveals how the natural functions of plants could give us vital protection against the future of a changing climate. Hi, Tiana, welcome to Growing Greener. Hi, Ari, thank you for having me. Uh, You are more than welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, Before we get um, onto plants, I would just like to hear from you why you're so passionate about greening up our cities, our urban and suburban areas
1: main reason I am really passionate is because most of us live in cities and I know from the evidence from my own work and the work of many colleagues in this research field that even small steps uh, that we make in our own green spaces can make a big difference to us on so many levels um, in, in terms of psychological but also environmental well-being so uh, I'm really keen for us to be doing what we can especially uh, in you know society that's as green as as british where you know people really have this passion for their own green spaces so um yes that's what
0: drives me i think oh good exactly and we are a nation of gardens is what they say (laughs) Very but much so, yeah. Very much so. But I mean, the thing is, is you know, as you just mentioned there, you know, so many of us um, are going to be, if we're not already, we're going to be living in some sort of urban um, or suburban area. And certainly, you know, there are numbers out there that say that, you know, almost 90% of the UK residents live in urban areas already. I mean, what sort of issues can that throw up? Well, it it
1: won't come as a surprise to you or or your listeners, I suppose, that the main issues are to do with air quality, uh, but also increasingly uh, rising temperatures in urban areas, which tend to be higher because of all these sealed, um, impervious surfaces that Absorb more energy than the surrounding rural areas, uh, and then also because of all these sealed surfaces and the fact that we are paving over more and more of our land, it's issues with localized flooding, um, also issues with noise, potential loss of biodiversity. I mean, I, I don't want to really sound as a doomsayer because the link of link of um, potential pro- problems are many, but there are also things we can do. Um, to mitigate them, for want of uh, a, a more user-friendly word, um, so so yeah.
0: I mean, I think the thing is though it is it is important I mean it does always sound a bit gloomy when we say some of these things, but I think it is important for us to understand the issues so that when we're working on the solutions and the mitigation, as you say, we understand why we're doing certain things and and if we have to change certain practices so yeah i I think we always want to get the the issues on the table first and and like you say, you know just air quality alone is is big enough reason for that us gardeners can do something to contribute.
1: Yeah, that's very true. Although I would have to sort of be, you know, act as a, as a proper scientist here and say that in terms of the hierarchy of where the greenery can help, air quality is probably not the biggest one. The biggest you know, help comes from reduction of emissions and, you know, smaller use of vehicles or change to more sustainable energy sources. But plants can also help in that domain. But in terms of where plants can really help is um, sort of cooling, um, regulation of temperatures, regulation of water flows and hydrology, uh, biodiversity. And then, you know, it all really adds up, you know, you gain something in, in you know, two or three domains and then perhaps slightly less in other domains. And it's that composite benefit that you have from those multiple services that you're getting from the same set of planting that I feel is really important.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think what I love about the fact is that you are scientist and you're cut straight in there which is brilliant because that's why we've got you on the podcast so that we can really understand the science behind what we're doing I mean you know obviously a lot of us gardeners are drawn to plants for their fabulous flowers and their fruit but you know you look at you study the function of plants the actual functionality of how they can help us live in our cities and towns so I mean you've touched on some of these things I mean let's break them down one by one um, in terms of some of these functions. Air temperature, for example, how do plants help us with air temperature? Um, So the
1: four key mechanisms whereby plants cool are through um, evapotranspiration. So that's water loss through plant stomata, through plant leaves, um, That. Actually, and the, this change of, of state of water from liquid in a plant to gas when it leaves the plant uh, consumes a lot of energy and that uh, sort of cools the surrounding air. Um, so, that's the main principle whereby, whereby plants cool. They also cool because they shade, uh, they also reflect some of the energy, and then photosynthesis is also just a very small kind of uh, source of, of how energy is being spent. But in the temperate climate, and that's British climate, um, w- uh, water loss trans through transpiration it's a it's a mouthful i do apologize but this this okay. kind of uh, water loss through plants uh, is the biggest source of cooling and that's a huge advantage that plants have above the, the the advantage that other surfaces have so if you have a parasol yes of course you are shaded or if you have a white surface it then reflects energy so you have higher albedo then it's better cooling but what those artificial uh forms of of, of shading don't have is this transpirational water loss. So that's the summertime cooling, but then you also have the benefits, for example, of winter insulation or channeling the winds or cutting out the the, the winds. And there are really sizable, even in new built houses where you have very good insulation methods anyway, that there are really measurable um, energy savings that you can achieve. Through strategic positioning of planting around the building uh, in winter time, uh, and then also the way things are changing in terms of saving energy for um, summertime air conditioning. If you have a, a tree, which is or you know a, a line of trees strategically placed around your house, or a hedgerow that's shading a particular side, or a green wall, you know a green facade that's growing up your south-facing wall, for example, or things mm-hmm. like that.
0: Wow. I mean, I think that's the thing, isn't it? That, you know, often people, you know, when we're sort of talking temperature, not just air temperature, but temperature in in general, of course, we want to save energy. We're seeing energy bills going up. But if I think about it, there's a lot of times when if I, you know, might go to a garden, a client's got a lot of ivy growing up a wall, and they kind of say they want to take that down. I mean, you know i can i can sense I can sense you're going to talk to me about that, Tiana. come on, yes, no, I'm grateful for you not cutting the time down, Harry, <laughs> or at least
1: advocating on behalf uh, I mean th- there is also a lot of nuances to which plants we choose for which exposition of the house, so for example, on a south facing wall, you may want to go for something that's deciduous, so you prevent solar gain in the summer, but you leave it exposed for winter solar gain. You know, there are little tricks like that, which you could, you know, as a designer, you can employ or, and then obviously go with what clients would visually prefer. Um, But for example, on north facing walls, something like Ivy, so an evergreen year round cover uh, would give you this kind of cushioning insulation in winter as well, you know, so to try and sort of um, increase the temperature uh, by creating this sort of cavity um, space between the, the planting and the building and therefore warming the, the rooms inside, but also, uh, you know, cooling in in the summer. So, I mean, there's a lot to be said about, you know, the benefits of some really simple and cheap forms. I mean, how much does it cost to buy a few um climbers and stick them around the wall if the wall is sound enough and most walls can be made to be sound enough to take even ivy that's much maligned and you know has a lot of bad press you know which you know we could do a whole podcast just
0: on ivy and the kind of misconceptions (laughs) around ivy. but i think that's you know i think this is the thing that we're trying to help people to sort of see that there are functional benefits to plants it's not just this visual impact i mean obviously as you say ivy being one of the plants that gets bad press bees love it as one it's just one thing but you know so i think that the um so going back to sort of the how these plants can help us in the cities um Temperature, you've really explained that well. It's this transpiration that is incredibly important. So, um, the other city issue um, that you touched upon before, pollution. Um, how do how do plants? How do they sort of? How do they actually trap that pollution? How does it work?
1: So it it depends on what's the the source of pollution and whether you're talking about particles, which in News nowadays, you'll hear, you know, mentions of PM particulate matter, and they will say, you know, PM10 is a problem or PM2.5. Those are smaller particles. They're even more of a problem because they penetrate deeper. So it's whether you talk about particles or whether you talk about gases, you have, you know, carbon monoxide, nitrogen dioxide in cities particularly is an issue. Uh. And then the mechanisms depend, depending on what is the compound you're talking about. But for particles, which are currently the main topic, I think policy-wise, the plants act quite sort of simply and passively. They literally act as deposition surfaces. Um, so, in that sense, they could do similar things to you that a fence would do, but the point of difference so you know a fence would be a screen what which, which would sort of reduce some concentration of the pollutants which are traveling towards you. But what plants do better, I would argue than a fence is the fact that they can be if they're well looked after and you know carefully chosen to have really dense canopies and are you know reasonably vigorous, they have generally larger area onto which. Uh, particles can be deposited and therefore act literally as a filter through which that air is dragging and the air you get to the other side of that filter, you know, it depends on the compound. It's, you know, five to 20% less polluted than what you have in front. And even those, you know, you could argue, oh, well, but that's not all, you know, it's not, you know, all clean, but I would argue that even a small reduction is better than no reduction. And equally in parallel, you know, we have to be asking for, uh, you know, mitigations to be put in other places so that you know our uh, fuels are, are you know less problematic. That we use energy fo- sources that are cleaner, and then plants can play a small part of that solution. And as I said, all the other things, you know, so a hedgerow that you've installed as a barrier would be at the same time a noise barrier, would be a home for certain wildlife, might, you know, perhaps even shade or insulate bits of your house. You know, so it's this multiplicity of benefit, again, would that, that would be important. But yes, in terms of the particles, it's the deposition. And in terms of the gases, it's just the uptake through stomata. So pla- plants would take up those gases and sub- metabolize some of them, so that it reduces the concentration in the surrounding area. Um, but a lot would depend on the scale. So obviously, if you put in, uh, you know, uh, you know, a meter of a hedge which is badly looked after and uh, you know feels sorry for itself, it's hardly going to do anything. So you, you know, the the more you have the more you have the bigger impact it will it will have.
0: Yeah no I mean I think the hedges I'm gonna come back to that in a bit more detail because I know that you've done quite a lot of work on hedges and I really want to kind of explore that because that's an important one for so many people but we'll come back to hedges. I'm just capturing this big um sort of bigger bigger vision, if you like, about how plants um, help us. We've talked about air temperature. We've talked about the pollution. Now, flooding um, and these heavy um, rainfall events that we, we are seeing more and more of, you know, they are becoming more extreme. They're becoming more intense when they come down. Um, and, you know, plants pe- can play a role in that, can't they, within our spaces? Very much so. And again,
1: it's even more important in urban areas because we are losing um, areas where soil is just freely Kind of accessible to rainfall. I mean, the biggest storage for rainfall is in the soil, and the plants in that sense are kind of more like an icing on a cake that keeps the soil there. Uh, but us losing the soil through paving and through use of impermeable paving really limits the opportunities for rain to go anywhere than to the drainage system, which really cannot cope in situations where you have these intense rainfalls. And then the role of plants is really twofold. Uh, one is to relatively smaller part of their role but it's it's to store some of the incoming rainfall in the canopy and that's again where large canopies that are uh, quite dense and and well developed will store a sizable amount i mean i've done experiments um with hedges again as as you've hinted uh, (laughs) where even when i had an experiment where i kept my soil fully saturated so literally like any additional droplet I would put in, it would start leaking from the soil and then I would rain on my model hedge. So, you know, they they were not, uh, they were just sort of experimental setup and it would give me, uh, in some cases, even 15 minutes kind of delay of any runoff coming from the bottom of my, you know, big tubs because of the rain that's being held in the canopy. So even when I know the soil can't take anything, I know that the canopy can you know, so and that has a you know it again. It say, sounds like oh, it's nothing, but when you have a drainage system on your street that's overflowing and struggling to keep, and you know maybe the rain will stop in fifteen minutes in a kind of intense summer storm, those fifteen minutes that you bought is possibly what's protecting your front porch from being flooded or not. I'm, you know, I'm not saying it. You know, if it's a once in five hundred year kind of cataclysmic event. No amount of hedging will, will save you, but in a kind of regular day-to-day or kind of kinds of events that we see on a regular basis, it's, it's the case of every little helps. Um, so that kind of storage is important.
0: And I think that, you know, I mean, I I um, was recalling a, a story when I was at Hampton Court, massive flood, uh, a deluge of rain. I mean, it was biblical. Um, but we, we were caught under trees. I mean, yeah, that is the classic one. It wasn't a, a thunderstorm; it was a rain. It was a rainstorm, and you know, comparatively, we were not wet. You know, so the canopy. I think even even obviously, we we don't have the um, the science data that you have. I think anybody, if you stand under a tree, you know that that's going to help with um, with with rain penetration, isn't it? And like, like you said, it's all about this rain not hitting the ground, which certainly will have paved over it, not hitting the ground straight away, slowing that flow down.
1: And alleviating the pressure on the local drainage systems. And you know, I've done some some work, actually quite a bit of work on hedges myself. I have a new colleague, um, new postdoc at, at the Royal Horticulture Society who works on garden trees and also looking at their capacity to what she's looking at a number of things but one of them is also how they store um rainfall uh and the idea is that we try and find the candidates that are suitable for domestic gardens but we know provide an extra layer of capacity of you know being able to hold that little bit better or being able to do two or three things uh really well so that when people are choosing for their their gardens they also can choose not well, in addition to what they really like and what's suitable for their garden and what they can afford um also choose the trees or or you know bits of hedging or you know perennial planting that is also functional or functional that little bit more that's the kind of thing that we are trying
0: to do with quite a few of our projects currently which which is so so useful i mean so let's let's talk about the hedges now because we yeah i think that this is a good point to talk about it because If we think about it from a, and I'm going to talk about it from a trend perspective, you know, I think back in the 70s, it would be very much so that you would see people out with their trimmers, with their shears, trimming the hedge. You know, a Saturday, Sunday job, um, that's what people did. There was a lot more hedges that were around, and then over time, and especially in the in front gardens, if people are lucky enough to have a front garden and then of course, what's happened over time is that we've gone into this lowering maintenance low maintenance uh, don't get me started on that, but that has taken out a lot of hedges um in um, people's gardens whether whether it's the back garden or the front garden and and I think that this is the this is where the research that you've done um has shown us just how much the hedge can assist in a garden. So you know, let 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 tell tell me more about that, Tiana.
1: So I mean, that research is still ongoing. It's
0: it's you know, new questions
1: keep cropping up as they always <laughs> do in science. We always like, oh well, we need to know a bit more. Uh, but what we know so far and why we've chosen hedges is because even though, as you say, perhaps the coverage is decreasing somewhat compared to you know. 20th element you know parts of 20th century when we've done um, a, a poll in 2021 via some RHS sort of um, media activity we found that more than 40 percent of people nationally in the UK um, and not just RHS members that was you know wider than RHS members have still have hedges in their garden so when you think about it you know if you turn it and make it into a glass half full it's it's kind of suggesting it's not all lost, I would say, that a lot of us still have hedges. A lot of new-built houses do have, albeit a token hedge, around the perimeter. Um, and I think uh, that that's encouraging. And then in terms of what hedges do, uh, they are really cheap and linear installation. They don't take up a lot of space. They are not expensive to uh, install compared to maybe some other forms of, of green infrastructure. Um, they, you know, through careful selection, you could maybe still have reasonably low maintenance. I mean, you can't get away from at least needing an annual trim. But I wouldn't suggest that you need to be out there, you know, every other month cutting things, and that's not good also for all sorts of other reasons for biodiversity purposes, and you know this, you know disturbing the habitat Uh, and the kinds of things you could expect from hedge and you know we've done quite a bit of research on this rainfall mitigation canopy storage but also transpirational cooling you know hedges which are stronger pumps and therefore release the you know increase the soil water storage through pumping out so we know that hedge can hedges can do that well and provide localized kind of storm water relief Um, again they could be you really used well to Influence microclimate, so to kind of screen you from prevailing winds. I mean, you don't need me to, you know. There would be our, I suppose, listeners in in Scotland who would be like, well, you know, you're rediscovering the wheel here, where people have used for for decades those hedge screens to protect themselves from from the winds they wanted to avoid. So that's definitely the case. Um, you know, biodiversity. You know, they're real networks and 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 sort of corridors for all sorts of, of wildlife in in urban setting. You know, connecting. You know, bits of greenery and can be really useful. Um, I mean, we are just starting a, a project um, with colleagues at the University of Salford looking at hedges as noise barriers and to what extent we can optimize the use of species and maybe in cultiv- hedge cultivars um, and use w- with maybe some artificial surfaces to kind of maximize the noise uh, reduction that you can get from hedges. Air quality, there's a lot of research to do with air quality showing that hedges can have a potential to be more efficient than actually trees in certain contexts. But again, it depends on the, on the design, on the depth, on, you know, sources of pollution. You know, there are some ifs and buts, but we know enough currently to be able to provide some initial recommendations so that people can get going. And really what appeals to me with hedges is that, again, they don't cost, cost much. I mean, I was just, I'm starting a new experiment just now, setting it up and, I bought some hawthorn, and literally, I bought loads because I need quite the, a lot of replication. And it was, you know, in the tens of pounds because I went for bare root, um, you know, three-year-old, four-foot-high, uh, you know, young plants. So, you know, I don't think the pricing is prohibitive. I know there are, you know, obviously issues, and, and so, so, so yeah. I think hedges are a possible useful intervention in quite a lot of urban contexts where we need cheap intervention that doesn't uh, take up a lot of space, which is obviously costly in urban areas.
0: Yeah, and, and obviously space is a premium. I think, you know, when I um, think about, certainly say like the front gardens, Just let's just think about front gardens for a minute, which obviously we know that a lot of people have given over their front gardens to um, extra parking, for example. Um and some think that I, you know, again, when I used to have to walk my stepson to school, you know, you see all these children that are at exhaust level height. You know, they're literally at the same height as cars spewing out all of their fumes. Now, when you walk on, if you're on a busy road and you live on a road, obviously lots of people do, um, I guess having that green screen, as it were, which is certainly at the height of a car, because the exhaust is coming at that sort of level first before coming up is there is there something within that that you've looked at
1: uh it's not something that i have myself looked at i mean i do read the literature around it and you know when you get into area of, of uh, atmospheric chemistry and you know the movement of currents it, it does get quite complicated and there are people better qualified than me to you know give you a lot of detail about how then air currents move and sometimes things can be made worse before they're made better. So I, I'm not going to go in there, but I would say that for most of the context that we have in the UK peri-urban context, uh, a, a good sort of healthy hedge, and currently what I'm looking at are actually mixed, beginning to look at are mixed hedges, uh, because, I mean, Horton's like fantastic and it's in the summer. It, you do get a lot of benefit from it. It's, it's a very physiologically active plant. It's a native plant. There's a lot of reasons why it's, it's, it's much loved in, in the British context. Uh, but it's deciduous. So you lose that service in the winter. So I'm looking at, you know, what it can be meaningfully combined with so that you get the year round um, service from a hedge that's also practical, because I was giving, I was talking to my colleagues in RHS advisory and I was like, oh yeah, I'd like to mix these. And he was like, nah, want to, uh, you know, pruning the requirements are too different and they wouldn't be growing well together. So, but that's something that I have a luxury, you know, working at the RHS, I have a luxury of being able to call on the colleagues who can sort of put me right and help me choose the. You know combinations which are meaningful practically as well, kind of exciting scientifically, and hopefully our members will be benefiting. In, you know, wider, you know, gardening public will be benefiting from that. You know, really, before too long, we are putting all that information out, literally as as we are.
0: Well, I think it's great, you know, Tiana, that you know that there is. Um science behind um, this, because obviously, you know, there are cultural trends um, as to why we like to do things visually. Um, people like to have certain plants or trees or shrubs within their gardens, etc. So I think it's really great that we can sort of um, see the the functionality of plants um, helping us um, in so many different ways. Um, I mean, I just want to touch on, um, you know, we touched on cloaking um uh walls for example um either with something like a a climber that could go straight onto it. i mean obviously there are green wall um installations that people can have as well isn't there um is that also um a good option if people like because in that way you get to choose a mixed species within there um how do green walls um feature in any of the research
1: Well, I mean, again, you know, there's a scientist of me who's kind of thinking how to carefully balance that. In terms of the service, surely it would provide you a service. This diversity of planting is good. The fact that you have a layer of substrate is also good because it gives you additional installation. But then it's important to think about the wider sustainability of the installation. Where does the plastic come from? How is it irrigated? Because, those would take a lot more additional inputs uh, compared to, as I say, uh, you know, ivy that we already mentioned, which you plant there and you leave it and you know, give it an annual prune and that's it. Um, but I just actually wanted to mention something else, both with hedges and, and, say, for example, ivy. There would be people who just, you know, really. It doesn't appeal to them. And I, I do appreciate, that's very important just because something is functional. It doesn't mean people will uptake it. So it's very important that people can choose what they like and then will also be happy that there are additional benefits. But that's where this bot- botanical variety that we have, you know, for ivy, you have, you know, tens of cultivars that you can choose. So if you go to Weasley, I mean, actually only recently I've discovered a little garden where, you know, there. Are, I think I've probably seen 15 cultivars of ivy and the difference in size and leaf shape and leaf color, you know, somewhere like little stars, somewhere like, you know, big hearts and variegated and green and shiny and dull. You know, there's so many cultivated variety that you can choose from that is great. And same goes for hedges. It doesn't mean, oh, it's a privet. I mean, I think even in a box standard gra- garden center you can buy probably four types of privet you can buy you know variegated you can buy green you can buy smaller leaves bigger leaves so it's not about oh well it's boring it can be made interesting um and you can be combining things to to gain the you know ap- visual appeal as well as have this functionality so i don't think one excludes or precludes
0: uh, another no, absolutely. It'll be really interesting to sort of see the um, other um, species or, or plants that we can use when you when you get the results from your mixed hedging. So we'll, we should obviously have to be looking out for that. But, you know, in terms of like the green infrastructure, obviously, which is really important to you about how we keep greening up um, our cities. So, I mean, um, I know that there have been... Um, The propulsion of green roofs, um, whether that's using them on things like our garden sheds or bikes and bin stores. I mean, does that also help with green infrastructure and helping to put more green back into um, into into areas? totally totally i that
1: i mean that is the case where it's you know i know it sounds now really cheesy when you say it but it's the, you know every little helps <laughs> i don't know whether we are <laughs> allowed to use that but you know really the more the better so if it's a, a a green roof and then a climber and then a bit of a hedge and then you know per, perennial border it all really has this additive effect um And then, you know, the more of us do it, the bigger impact it will be because with with urban greenery, that's really the key. It's the scale of of benefit is proportional to the scale of implementation. So, you know, we could have the loveliest, uh, you know, green wall, which is super eye catching. And I understand why maybe some commercial premises may want to have it as a kind of visual statement. But if that's the only green thing in the vicinity of the hundred meters, microclimatic impacts are going to be negligible.
0: Mm, mm. And I guess I I like the fact that you've just brought in that sort of um, the microclimate um, element to that because, you know, I have quite a small garden um, and, you know... uh, things have grown up I didn't realize you know 10 years ago when I first moved in it was literally a lawn and a couple of skinny borders and I wasn't really a gardener at that point in time I've blinked and 10 years 12 years later I've got a little microclimate the trees gosh they grew up and some of the shrubs um and I think that you know it, it it's. It doesn't take long for us to be able to build these uh, microclimates. I mean, we certainly saw benefit for cooling um, during the summer of 2020 when it was really hot and we were clearly in our gardens. But I think what you've just said there, in terms of creating microclimates by thinking about all of the sur- basically all of the surfaces, isn't it really? the the, vert- the vertical surfaces the horizontal surfaces whether it's the ground level or uh, a shed that's what we need to be looking at
1: yes and uh, again like shameless plug for you know RHS advice but you know we are aware that our members and and gardeners more widely are pressed with some of those problems. Yes, they do need to park, but really there are ways to, you know, have your cake and eat it. And don't be despondent if you just, you know, if you can't have a mega tree in your front garden and a massive hedge, it doesn't mean that it should be then, oh, well, I'll pave it all over. There are kind of in-between solutions that add up. And and I think that's where hedges, because they are sort of linear and relatively, you know, can take relatively small area. And climbers can really be quite... you know saving grace
0: in urban context Mm, mm, no exactly they're very they don't take up huge amounts of space in in your work um tiana you're constantly researching how plants um can help us and i'm thinking what can what things can we be considering before we go off to the nursery to buy plants um you know what can we be looking at other than just how beautiful the flowers are at that time of year how can we help
1: I would say uh,
0: choosing plants which are longer
1: lived is definitely something that I would go for. So perennial planting uh, rather than annuals, wherever possible, um, f- for a number of reasons, which perhaps I don't have to uh, elaborate, but generally that that longevity has positive carbon impacts and also if they're relatively low maintenance, then, then even better. So uh, perennial planting, um, at the moment, there is quite a lot of um, discussion around uh, evergreen planting and the benefits that evergreens. I, I think, in terms of science, we're still not 100% sure. Um, so i think some a, a good mix of deciduous and perennials is likely to bring you a, a year round benefits because um these plants that drop their leaves are usually very active and can provide a really good service for you in the summer but then what do you substitute uh you know what do you substitute them in the winter um that's another thing and then generally having a tree I, I think that that's a consensus that's growing. Even if it's a small tree, is is really helpful on so many levels. Um, so I would say perenniality, have a tree, um, choose a, a good mix, and just go really quite diverse. Um, and if possible, avoid um, areas which are very high high maintenance, you know, like lawns and annuals which are dig out. But on the other hand, I, I don't want to say oh, don't ever use annuals. I'm, I mean, I'm as guilty as charged
0: as I love my, <laughs> I love my hanging basket. Exactly. We all, yeah. And that's the thing. We 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 appreciate that this is about the joy of gardening. Still, you know, uh, a lot of uh, the, the the speakers that I've have spoken to, you know, there is a joy to be had, and and I think that's important. But equally, it to me, it, it comes down to balance. You know, it's there's a balance to be had, isn't there? If you're somebody that loves annuals of course great in pots is brilliant but it's i guess you're trying to say that make sure you've got some perennials in there as well
1: perennials and woody plants and ideally a tree and you know we we would be hoping that in the next few weeks we are able to recommend a tree for every garden irrespective of how small it is and possibly even you know if you're on a balcony or somewhere that um you know you can put a, a meaningful size tree to you know, benefit you and, and also immediate environment.
0: Oh, that'd be, I think that would be amazing. So I'm sure people will definitely want to look out for that. Um, there's other, something else I wanted to talk to you about um, with regards to sort of, if you like, uh, plant structure um, so that we can just share that with um, any listeners because there are certain um, qualities of plants, certainly around their um, their leaf structure, that can also help with some of the issues we've spoken about Um the uh, air quality, the pollution, etc. So it's things like the um, the color of the leaves, isn't it, and hairs and and things and hairs on it. Can can you t- t- explain a bit more about that? Yeah, that, that is you know that's a, almost a bit of a scientific curiosity.
1: So we know from our experiments and and uh, that you know we, we looked at what are the kind of underpinning traits that you want in your plants to give you better cooling or give you more rainfall sequestration or better trapping of pollutants. And the presence of these uh, rough uh, structures on the leaf, so, you know, roughnesses and ridges and veins and hairs, um, does help with quite a number of these things. So, you know, for example, particles get then lodged into a leaf and, you know, don't float about in the air. So you have, you know, as a consequence... Of cleaner air around the plant, um and also in terms of the color, it, plants that have lighter color reflect especially if you use them as a as a roof um roof cover, so green roof cover um uh, would reflect more energy and therefore keep the space underneath it cooler uh, but I wouldn't get too worried about it, so if you're as you say in a garden center you're trying to choose, and it can be i suppose overwhelming, and you think, oh my God, I have to think about color, and I have to find something scary. <laughs> And it's not about that, really. The biggest impact comes from the extent of planting, uh, and it comes from using these perennial plants, and it comes from the plants that provide this year-round service. So I think that's the main driver. Try and find a plant that will last you a while, hopefully, um, and you know that's why I'm sort of going around with this per- perenniality and try and feel every corner with something, even if some of those plants may be slightly less efficient or, you know, would be absorbing a bit more heat than reflecting. It's not the end of the world. It can be mitigated through the, you know, good mixing. So I would say that's probably more important than these quirky scientific things that do get us interesting papers and are good talking points. But in practice, you know, in terms of day-to-day gardening practices, isn't something that should worry
0: or kind of send our listeners into panic and thinking oh, oh I no to- we don't want we don't want panic we don't want panic out there we just want to kind of get some of get get some lovely facts which I mean you've been brilliant at sharing um yes you know, how these functions of plants um really work which is what I you know which is just always it still fascinates me it's, it fascinates me how plants um just do so much um so much for us without us even realizing they're just silently getting on with it
1: <laughs> and getting on with it and getting to do more than one thing at a time. So that's why I'm thinking it's important not to hang up about, oh, it's just this, there is a super plant. No, they're all, you know, in many ways, unless they're invasive or, you know, poisonous, they're all doing their little bit in some way. So I think that's the key to remember. Not not to lose them and not to pave over if we can avoid it and, you know, stick some green wherever possible.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good a really good tip now i know we won't go into it in huge detail but i just want to touch a little bit a little bit on lawns um you know we just sort of you sort of scooted over it there i i'll be honest i took my lawn out um because i have a small garden and um in the end i decided because i'll kept Well, probably mainly because I kept eating into it (laughs) to increase the borders. Um, But also, um, I felt that I wanted to be able to maybe in time um, have bigger borders and also sort of interplant into a more permeable gravel area. Now, you know, lawns are the love of of, of a lot of many English gardens. um, But do they actually play a part in helping us with um, the infrastructure in our cities, the greening of them?
1: I mean, I haven't done a huge amount of, well, I haven't done any specific research myself on loans, but I am reading, you know, it's part of my wider reading that I do in sort of keeping myself informed. Um, And I would say that they have a role to play if they're not overmanaged, you know, a loan is a better alternative than, God forbid, plastic loan. I mean, like you said, don't get me started. I mean, don't get me started on plastic loans. I'm going to explode. Seriously. (laughs) Seriously um but uh you know or paid over areas so you know in you know if you're talking in that uh, you know s- spread of, of universes then lawns are absolute yes compared to those other alternatives i've, I've, I've m- mooted and then it's then also what you put in those those loans. you know they're now flowering lawns there are some interesting things that they could they could be to come and also if they're not overmanaged. i mean there's been some excellent research few years ago coming from australia where they looked at the irrigation of the loans and actually that you can really keep it minimal you can you know so the thing we should forget is you know this endless desire to keep them you know perennially green let them die back they will come back you know so I think if we have them on those terms, because it can be convenient. I know when I had young children, it was convenient because, you know, my youngest was eating plants and I was worried of putting some plants in because I was worried about him poisoning himself. But, you know, lawn was practical and, and, you know, working then. Now I can get a bit more excited, you know, and start, you know, combining things. But, you know, it has a time and a place. And I'd rather do that than have a, you know, concreted garden. So, so yeah, that's the kind of very long-winded way of saying I think they, they can have a role still with what we understand if they're not overmanaged.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, not too much water, not too much fertilizer, just let them be. And, and of course, like you say, we won't go into it because it will both explode, but the artificial lawns, we have to remember that the artificial lawns, above anything, above apart from above anything, they add more heat into the garden. Yeah. No, it's just no.
1: It's like, absolutely. I mean, I I don't even know how we got into a position of even needing to discuss, you know, or, you know, explain why plastic loans are just a no, should be a no-go on so many levels.
0: Tiana, I can feel another podcast coming up for that. (laughs) I can feel another podcast, my dear. So... I mean, you know, as we can both of it, I could keep talking about, you know, this whole greening up our cities. I think it's fabulous that you're doing this work and providing um, us research and information to help us make better choices about our plants. So I guess my my question is my final takeaway point that I want to ask you is what one change should we all be making now to improve our cities? that's a very
1: profound question arit really um and it's not easy for a scientist to answer when you say one because it's it's never got never going to be one but if i have to have to say one then i would say reducing paving over and keeping the plants in because of all these multiple benefits that i have explained so that's the change so if you're tempted to go and um, pave. Please try and look for alternative solutions to keep the greenery and also, you know, sort out your issue w- with planting. Or if you know, I can even sort of term it as a gra- you know glass half full. It's you know pull up a paver. if you've paved already, pull it up and try and put something green there.
0: Yeah, no, that's 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 really sound advice, and I think that uh, you know there's even those little other interventions where. You know, if you have got some paving down, take out three or four pavers and just put a little bit of green back. So I, I, I think that's great advice. Oh, Tiana, it's been fabulous speaking to you. Thank you so much and bringing your scientific knowledge to the table. And, um, and we certainly don't think it's a doom and gloom. It's been brilliant understanding how plants can help us in our growing city lives, which is where we, which is what we, where we live.
1: Thank you so much, Ari, for giving me the platform to explain things in in real proper scientific depth, which isn't very, you know, often
0: that I get the chance to. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Oh, that's great. Great, great, great. Well, thank you so much. You take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to me, Ara Anderson, on the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. You can find out more about the themes we've covered today at gardenersworld.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it. Rate us in your podcast provider app. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify or Acast to never miss an episode. See you next time.